It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 426 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week I have a great chat with Ian Sharman, Editor-in-Chief at Marcosia Enterprises. Ian's probably best known as the award-winning writer of Alpha Gods, Hero 9 to 5, Hypergirl, and several other series. Marcosia, of course, is one of the leading independent publishers of graphic novels in the UK. They're known for comic books, illustrated novels, and more. Since they're forming in 2005, they've done a lot of really fascinating work, and we talk about some of that in this interview. We focus on several of Ian's creations and talk about what the future holds for both Ian and Marcosia. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy what he has to say. A word of warning, every once in a while Skype has fun with us and there's a little background noise that I was unable to remove. But be sure not to let that distract you from what Ian's talking about. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. It's great to welcome to the podcast Ian Sharman from Marcosia, a comics creators company that is doing super stuff. How you doing, Ian? I'm good. I'm good. Well, you've got yes. all kinds of good stuff to, to read. Hero 9 to 5, which I really enjoyed. Hypergirl, which is really interesting. And Alpha Gods, among other things. Yep. So, but why don't you talk about Marcosia first? Because if I remember correctly, I think Luke Cooper's Hollow Girl came out through you guys. Uh, yeah, yeah, this just recently came out, yeah, through us. It's uh, It seems to be doing well. Uh, we're, we're delighted to be publishing that book uh, as well, uh, among many other books. Uh, we have like about, we have over 200 titles at the moment. Um, wow. Yeah, we've basically been uh, uh, publishing since 2005. Wow. Um, um, and, uh, yeah, we, we just keep adding new titles, um, so... What's what's the philosophy of Marcos? I mean, what kind of materials attract you guys' attention? I mean, really, uh, anything that's good. I know that sounds kind of flippant, but um, kind of uh, between me and um, Harry, the um, the publisher, mm-hmm. um, I'm editor in chief. He's the publisher. Um, we basically um, he he gets submissions in and then anything that he likes he'll show to me and we'll kind of discuss whether we want to pursue it or not um there's some stuff he shows me and i'm just like that's no that's awful Hmm. you can't possibly but um certainly in the last year i would say that the quality of submissions we get we've been getting in has really improved um we're just getting some really really high quality stuff in um so you know we're actually being even more picky now over what we publish. Hmm. Yeah. What, what makes you think the, what's the reason that the quality has improved so much? I've honestly no idea. I, I mean, I don't know if, um, partly it, that, um, maybe other publishers are 
less open to people just pitching stuff. I mean, certainly um, we don't care about like track record, whether you've already been published and we published a lot of people's first books, Mm -hmm. certainly. Um, So I think we're definitely a way in for a lot of people. Um, And I think there are less, perhaps less ways in um, at other publishers now. If I can, I might postulate an idea. One of the reasons I think the quality of stuff is going up is because, like, Kickstarter has enabled people to create comics on their own, and I think a lot of people are gaining experience. And I think a lot of the stories that we might not have gotten the chance to read are available now because of Kickstarter and other avenues and things like that, and you guys help make those things possible. So, you know, as a comics reader, I think this is one of the best times to be buying comics and be reading because like your stuff I really enjoyed and uh, like I said Luke's stuff is great stuff there are many other things under Marcosia that I've enjoyed uh, take me a while to mention them all but uh, uh, I just think this is a great time to be um, creating comics and stuff it, you said you got over 200 titles how many of them have been recent ones are they are they mostly recent ones um I'm certainly um we are publishing more now than ever before. I mean, we um, when I started out um, just doing the pre-press for Marcosia, I was maybe pre-pressing like six or seven books a year, and maybe. Um, and now we're we're easily doing that a month. Wow! You know, um, um, basically, pretty much every week we're we're releasing a new book. Um, in uh, in print, I mean digitally. Where we we probably release a lot more stuff because we do single issues digitally. We only do um, trade paperbacks um, in print because uh, oh. we just found um, single issues um, certainly wasn't e- economically viable to okay. to keep going. Now, I got, of course, I'm asking from an American perspective and stuff. I mean, how do we access your books? But I'm going to get into your specific books here very shortly, but. I'm just sort of curious as to how people find out about your product and about the, the books that you're making and what they can look forward to. What are the best ways to do that? Um, certainly go to, go to our website, um, marcosia.com. Uh, we list all of our books on there. Um, uh, and we also have a Facebook and Instagram and Twitter um, where we try to keep everybody as up, updated as possible. And on our website, you can sign up to our weekly newsletter, which gives you the, what's coming out that week and uh, s- some stuff that's um, in the works, in the pipeline. Sorry, I'm really stammering tonight. That's okay. <laughs> Do apologize. That's all right. It's been a long day. There's all the kind of craziness okay. going on in the real world right now. So oh, yeah. It's going <laughs> to affect us as we talk and stuff. So that's okay. It's a conversation. So I'm yeah. not worried about things like that. But I'm, I'm as again, I'm, I'm, I'm curious for an American audience does your stuff come out through like diamond? Uh, how we do we access no, it? Huh? No, we're not. When we don't, um, we're not in previews. Uh, we don't work with diamond anymore. Um, I don't know if I should get into the whys of that, but basically, again, it, uh, economically, it wasn't working out because, um, especially as a UK publisher, you're, you're, you're taking such a hit in shipping books out to Diamond, like Diamond, and then often them getting shipped back here, which is nuts. But um, 
so basically our stuff is available on Amazon it's available on Book Depository Barnes & Noble Wordery basically any bookseller um, certainly on, online ones but I, many should be able to go into any bookshop and order the books um, from them because we distribute through all the main um, book distributors um, and we found certainly initially when we first stopped distributing with Diamond and moved over to distributing through Amazon and regular book channels our sales did drop but our profits went up mm. we made money that's we sold less we made more money that's but interesting yeah. that's a kind of curious because you're, you're not the first person that I know who, who hasn't gone through Diamond there are several other people I know here in the States who do the same thing they actually one guy I know in particular, Henri Compton, who does a book called Yi Sun Shin, he goes to conventions and sells them yeah. there. And he actually sells them better there than he could and make more money than he could through Diamond. So yeah. he actually doesn't do that. Uh, so it, it's interesting. Of course, you guys getting to American conventions, I'm sure, is a little hard. It's kind of impossible, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, so. a lot of I mean, I personally do uh, quite a lot of conventions here in the UK. Mm -hmm. But um, I've done a few conventions in the States, but that you, it's kind of impossible to make money doing um, conventions in the States when you're based in the UK, because basically you can't physically take enough books to sell to make the money back on the flights and stuff. So Exactly. Yeah, I'm sure. Unless you've got some reason to be here otherwise. Yeah. You know, somebody's paying for you to come and do something here in America and you can fit that in your trip. Yeah. It's kind, of tough. it's kind of tough. Well, what I'm interested in too is, I, you know, I, in America we sometimes become pretty focused on our own stuff. Yeah. And I have learned, like Luke's stuff is a, a good example. There are things being made around the world that are really fascinating, and and your stuff too, I think, is just really interesting reading. And yeah. you know, we in America have a certain way of looking at things. And yeah. you guys in the UK, I, I read one time there was a 2000 AD in which they said things that I thought if somebody in America had said those things, never would have happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing that fascinates me about 2000 AD is um, I was reading that like when I was 11, you know, as many kids certainly back then were reading 2000 AD and looking at it now, the, the, it's fascinating that that was marketed as a kids comic, you know, because uh, it was very transgressive. Mm -hmm. I think this is the word. Um, yeah. It's, just, it's amazing stuff. But I, I was just so intrigued, you know, political correctness being what it is. Certain things you can't talk about people's backgrounds certain ways. And 2000 AD, frankly, just right out with it. And yeah. I was like, whoa. <laughs> so, you know, if, I mean, it doesn't bother me, but I just knew that other people would, would not take kindly to such things. <laughs> which brings me to, uh, you know, marketing your stuff, which is, you know, you, you talk about the fact that you're a British publisher. Reaching an American audience, how do you go about that? What kinds of things do you do to have Americans get interested? Because, you know, it's great that you guys do this stuff, and, and I'm sure that the you guys are it's e much easier to market your stuff in the UK because that's the way your culture is, is oriented how do you approach like an American audience I mean I don't know if I even 
think about it like that. And we do have a big American audience. A lot of our web hits come from America. A lot of our sales are, are, are come from America. Um, and we just, I don't, I just, we just promote the books as they are, you know, um, and they either hit a chord with people or they don't. I mean, I think there are some books that I guess are more popular in the States than the UK and vice versa. But I mean, because the audience for comics is, or at least uh, Anglophone comics Mm -hmm. is predominantly in the US and there's a much bigger, obviously, because there are a lot more of you over there, a lot bigger market in the US. Um, Naturally, we sell more to Americans because um, I think if people are searching for comics um, then they'll find them um, I don't know that's kind of it's weird it's almost throwing me off because I hadn't ever thought about like the <laughs> marketing to Americans differently than mm-hmm. Brits um, yeah. but uh, well, I mean I th- a lot of people don't even realise we're a British company mm. uh, I think mm-hmm. uh, Interesting, because the reason I asked that is because, you know, some British stuff is gathering quite the audience over here, and I think Doctor Who is a, is a prime example. You know, something that's a little different, doesn't approach things exactly the way we have in the past, I think there's a market for that. I think people, like me, I like variety in my reading. And so for me, I like to read, like, like your hero 9 to 5, which has a very unique perspective on superheroes. And uh, Alpha Gods, which is, again, something interesting, uh, a different look at things. And I like that stuff. And I, some people tell me it's a little bit of a hindrance because it doesn't look at things from America. But I actually prefer that. I like to see things. I think, you know, there's, for a long time there's been British writers have had huge success in the American comic book industry from, if you think, obviously, the obvious one is Alan Moore. But, you know, Grant Morrison, Mark Millar, up to, like, Kieran Gillen and Al Ewing now, you know, um, it's almost, it's almost got an advantage, I think, over American writers um, trying to break into American comics if you're British. Because mm. um, uh, there's something about the, the British sensibility, the British voice that seems to chime with American readers, I think, to a certain well, section of the American audience. Mm-hmm. I don't, know, I don't know if it's it's just because we do have that slightly different perspective, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> or not really. Um, but yeah, it's, it's if you, certainly the a lot of the biggest names if you think about it in in comics writing are British. I mean, even like Chris Claremont was born here, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, Alan Grant, of course, I think is a I think he's that that part of the world he comes from. It's in up in Scotland, yes. Yeah, I, there are people from different countries look at things differently and I think your stories are going to reflect that. You're going to go places that we might as Americans not even conceive of going. And so for us, I think that's really an, a pleasure to go somewhere else. You know, I, I, yeah. Honestly, there are some books I have read and I get to the end and I go, yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> your guys' books, like your stuff, I have no idea. And you guys also, I, I talked to Side of Town one time, yeah. and he had this book I love to talk about his stuff that he has this one book called Slaughterman's Creed. Yeah, we published that. Oh, you did? Oh, okay, because yeah. I, I got to read that. I didn't get a paper copy. on. He, had, he made a, a digital copy available to me. Oh. And the, the story behind that fascinated me. He was watching a, 
a, a, a documentary on slaughtering pigs. And out of this documentary, in his head, formed the story about the slaughterman's creed, you know, this whole business. And he did something really interesting. I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say he does like a huge pivot about halfway through the story. Something, there's a significant change that happens that as Americans we would not probably do. And so I remember being stunned when I read that. I was like, what? How can he possibly do something like that? So for me, that I think that kind of thing really goes over with some of us in America who like to see something that we haven't seen before. And so like like your stuff, I think, like like Hero 9 to 5, I think is, is a good example of that. You know, looking at heroes, I mean, we've tried that here in some comics in America, talking yeah. about the idea that some heroes might actually want to make money being a superhero. And it never flies. But that book, I thought, really, that's the way to do, tell this story. You know, from people's perspectives and and well, yeah. talk a little bit about hero. We'll start talking about some of your stuff, I think, because I we we've done so, a good job of talking about what makes Marcosia different from yeah. other companies. Talk about Hero Nine to Five. Was that your first book, or how did that come in the you write? Hero wasn't no, it wasn't my first book. Um, that was Alpha Gods, but Hero Nine to Five. I just I can't even remember now. It's just, well, I just had I will, yeah, yeah. Um, basically, when I was very young, I was bought a book called How to Be a Superhero, which was very silly, very funny book. Um, and that kind of was a lot of the inspiration behind Hero 9 to 5. Um, um, and I'm really obviously also thinking about um, the healthcare industry and how that is run in America, as opposed to here and the fact that... Um, increasingly people want to make our healthcare industry like your healthcare industry mm -hmm. um, and so i thought of you know what if being a superhero was just a job and what if that job that the superhero industry was run like the american healthcare industry so you had to have insurance to to be saved by a, a superhero um and so I originally sketched out, outlined the, the, the first four-part series mm -hmm. where like, the first in issue would basically introduce the idea, the second issue would introduce psychics, mm -hmm. and the third issue would introduce a team, and the fourth issue would be like part 17 of a 73-part crossover. Mm -hmm. um, and then having actually written the first three issues, mm -hmm. I was like, I can't finish it like that. I actually have to finish the story properly, mm -hmm. um, um, which I did. Um, I guess I hope. Um, and that whole the whole thing was written kind of one issue at a time mm -hmm. with the artist. Then we, we do it uh, Marvel style. So I write write a, a plot, he draws it, and then I write the script. Mm -hmm. um, and a couple of times I kind of left finished the issue not knowing where I was going next at all mm -hmm. and not knowing how I was going to finish it I kind of learned a lesson there because it was one of the first things I wrote um, to actually properly plot out your story from the start so you know where it's going because it was scary at one point I kind of ended up like I had no idea how I was going to finish it and then kind of woke up at about four o'clock in the morning 
had to grab a pen and a paper and write down because it came to me all of a sudden how to finish it. It was a bit scary, but they. <laughs> well, you know, I talked to Mark Wade a long time ago, and he pointed out to me, and I always thought he had everything all planned out. I thought, man, when yeah. you, you, you paint yourself into this corner and, and you know where you're going to go, and he said to me, well, we don't know where we're going to go. Oftentimes, I finish an issue, and, I, and I, the editor and I sit down, now what are we going to do? Yeah. And I was like, really? And he said, I don't mean to disappoint you. He said, but I don't know sometimes what I'm, how I'm going to get out of this, this stuff. I, I do the best job I can of putting myself into a corner, and then we figure out what we're going to do after that. So you, you're a good company as far as yeah, that kind of stuff goes. It's a fun way to write. I mean, I did a, a, a webcomic for a, about a year with um, my good friend David Wynn, who also drew Hypergirl. Um, and... I wrote that basically three pages at a time, not knowing where I was going next. And so we, we did three pages a week and I would each week I would write the three pages and we'd just see where it went. And it was that was fun. That was a lot of fun, but also kind of slightly scary. But mm-hmm. Well, sometimes it's good to challenge yourself. Yes. It is. Now it's interesting because you know, I mentioned Sai and he actually wrote the the preface. Yes. Uh, beware of the underdog, and he start. He ends it up by saying, "I just wish I'd thought of this first Yes. This whole concept, which I get a, a kick out of. Uh, I remember um, talking to him at a convention uh, before Hero Nine to Five came out, obviously, and telling him about the idea, and he was just like, "I wish I thought of that." <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Now, the first part centers around one of the heroes. And I've got to talk about him. The name is, in a way, pokes fun at superheroes. And yes. the way that your very first issue starts out is quite hysterical. He looks, he's looking at things as if he were an American superhero. Yeah. Let's say his name is Flamo, which I thought was right off the bat. That's a funny name because we would never do that in America. And yet, I could see someone actually saying, hey, that sounds like a good name. <laughs> and it's kind of fun. And he starts out with all the women, you know, kind of fawning all over him. And things are, you know, he, he's basically, you know, loved everybody, just loves them all over the place. And then he wakes up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which was great. I thought that was, you know, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is going to be very American in its perspective. And then when he wakes up and goes back to reality, No. Which I loved. And, of course, now, talk about the fact that there are two opposing groups. And the fact that, that one of them is, is, is for hire and the other one seems to be better funded as far as that goes. You know, they take the money as they do the job, but the other one seems to have a lot more money behind them. Well, yeah, because you've got basically um, the – you've got the um, POW, who are a superhero agency – who um, basically have you have to have a, a, basically an insurance policy for heroes to come and save you, um, and the richest people can afford the best heroes mm-hmm. who are employed by POW, mm-hmm. um, and um, so they have a lot of money behind them, mm-hmm. um, and they are quite arrogant because <laughs> they're rich uh, and wealthy and. The um, the poor people in this, or the average people, uh, the less well-off people in this world, um, can't afford hero insurance, and so if they get in trouble, 
they are saved by a, a kind of government-sponsored, um, government-funded um, hero agency called Heroes for Zeros, mm-hmm. uh, who um, come and save them eventually when they get there. Mm-hmm. And Do not necessarily rush to yeah. save people. Flamo, of course, is one of the latter group. Yes. It's funny. And, and what's interesting is to watch what happens when the two of them bump into each other. Yes. It's, there's tension between the two. And I always get a huge kick between, uh, let's just say that relationships develop as is naturally going to happen. And, you know, of course, there are bad guys involved, too. And as the th- those three groups sort of get involved and things start to happen... Certain people are attracted to certain others, shall we say? Which is, yeah. in real life, that's going to happen, like office situations um, and things um, like that. The, the, the hook I usually say when I'm, I'm kind of pitching the book to people at conventions, trying to convince them to buy it, is, you know, about Flamo. He's, you know, he works for this, yeah. Basically, his arch nemesis is his girlfriend, <laughs> and his psychic has a crush on him. Um, and. The, the tension as much yeah as much as it's a superhero book and there's all this kind of socioeconomic stuff in the background about class struggle and whatever um it really it's a a book about relationships and um and at the heart of certainly the first book is a is a romance you know mm-hmm. it's a romance story it's a it's a rom-com mm-hmm. really um but it just looks like a superhero book with all the ridiculousness involved in that, including the um, physical proportions of the, the characters. <laughs> now, of course, the first volume deals with that, but you've got three volumes. The second volume changes focus. Yes. This, this well, is, you go to a different hero. Why don't you talk about that well, change? The, the first book, it's I saw it as kind of a, a satire on modern superhero comics. Mm-hmm. Um Whereas the, and well, and to a certain extent, the 90s, some of the kind of extremes of the 90s as well. But um, with the second book, I, I was doing more of a satire on kind of the grim and gritty movement of the 80s, um, the kind of Watchmen and particularly Dark Knight Returns. And so the second book doesn't, as a whole, focus so much on one character. The focus shifts. Um, from issue to issue to, to a certain extent because I kind of it progresses through kind of pretty much through one day so it starts out on the night shift where a character called the loner is is working the night shift and he basically stumbles across um, what is going on I don't want to give too much away mm-hmm. uh, um, some some evidence that a villain is at work shall we say um and then because it then becomes morning he passes that on to the day shift to then kind of take over him and it comes i mean the real focus of the story is is the loner and then a character called mental lady um which is an awful name um (laughs) but um who has psychic powers um and her um how she comes into conflict with the main villain of the piece, her, who is um, just evil, really. <laughs> just 
just evil. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that 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 character really came about um, through talking to the artist about what we were going to do with the second book, mm-hmm. and he said he wanted to do a character, a, a villain who almost had no motivation. He just did awful things because he could, and mm-hmm. he referenced um, American Psycho, mm-hmm. which. I had never seen and still haven't um, deliberately because I didn't want to make the book sound, the character sound too much like the character from American Psycho, but I did. I read the Wikipedia entry (laughs) Mm. Um, uh, just to get an idea of of, of that character and what was going on in that, the film Um, and just have that kind of almost kind of senseless killing, not, not even because it, he wanted to or, or it gave him pleasure, but just because he could, because mm-hmm. he can. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that was. I almost don't want to. I hesitate to say it was a fun character to write, but it, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a fun character to write. It was an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Now you did a third volume after that. Yes. Talk about the third because that one again is. I don't think it's like the first two. Again, you're doing something very different. Yeah. Well, I kind of. It's, it's weird with the, the, the first book, uh, no, the second book, sorry. The second book, I got some feedback from some people that they didn't like that it changed tone, and I was like, kind of like, tough, we're going to change tone again. Um, <laughs> and the, the third book, I kind of get into kind of riffing on celebrity culture um, and um, reality TV and also uh, religion and all sorts of that stuff going on. Uh, we bring back a character from the first book uh, who is now running a church. Uh, and, yeah, I draw a lot on... I I used to be quite heavily involved in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and some stuff went down at the church mm-hmm. and, and no longer um, no longer a believer <laughs> okay. as a result. And I, I definitely channeled a lot of that into this, this book. Um, uh yeah. <laughs> so, okay, is was that the end of Hero Nine to Five, or was there other beside those three? Currently, there is only three. We are working on a short spin-off book hmm. um, from. <laughs> there is a character that appears in one panel in book three called Justice Monkey. You probably didn't even notice him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are doing a short Justice Monkey book, and then we will return with uh, book four. Uh, which is what we call the Age of Misrule, mm-hmm. which is kind of doing a, an Age of Apocalypse thing. Mm-hmm. And um, reality basically gets rewritten and we end up in a, a whole different reality and only Flamo is aware that things are not right. Hmm. Okay, that'd be cool. Do you know when that's going to hit? Uh, sure. Uh, it's generally taken uh, David Gray, who, who draws the book, about four years to draw each book okay. so uh justice monkey will probably be about out in about 18 months to two years and the the next book of that probably four years after that okay. um i mean i would love it him to draw it quicker but he um he works as a an undertaker oh. and he's also the drummer in a fairly successful death metal band um, so when he's not undertaking or on tour, mm-hmm. he draws the book very slowly. So okay, <laughs> yeah. well it's worth the wait though because the, the stuff is really good. I mean his his art style is really dynamic. 
I love, I love, I absolutely adore his art, and I'm, I regularly just feel incredibly lucky and privileged to work with him. And I get, because as I said, we write it Marvel style. We do it Marvel style. So I just write the plots and go, that's not funny. But then, and then he, I get all this art from him, and like, not only have I got to write something that. Um, does this artwork justice mm-hmm. but it's also got to be funny mm-hmm. and, um, yeah I feel incredible pressure and hopefully I pull it off mm, but, very good I, I, I love it I, I, the twists and turns are stuff I have absolutely no idea where you're going and I love that in a book I don't want to know I don't want to tell where you're going. I, I like it the way that it's going. So I'm going to be fascinated to see those other ones when they come up. So uh, I guess, again, the, the, the social media stuff is probably the best way to keep up and find out yeah. how you're going to do those good things. All right. Based on what you said, let's take a step back then and go to Alpha Gods, which I think was your first one is what you said. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Yes. Alpha Gods was the, the first thing I wrote. Um, and actually... Uh, uh, was a concept that had been gestating in my brain since I was maybe 15 Mm. um, and read, uh, I think it was Gen 13, Mm -hmm. um, read the first Gen 13 miniseries and kind of was inspired by that. But there has been so much stuff between then and when I finally got around to writing it that hopefully it doesn't resemble that much. Um, I, 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 a while back, I found my like original notes that I wrote when I was like 15, and was just embarrassed by how awful they were. Um, but yeah, and also I around the, the same time I got an album called um, Young Gods by the Little Angels, um, and just kind of listening to that album just got certain scenes in my head, which. I not really related to anything in the album. It's just when you're young, your brain does weird things, I think. Um, and particularly was a scene of heroes um, basically jumping out of a, a, a ship onto a rooftop on a rescue mission because um, one of the because a mutant essentially is trapped in this it being held held in this facility and so that's um the first scene in alpha god's betrayal basically which is the second book which was plotted first um but i was when i kind of first got into seriously trying to work in comics um in around when would that have been about 2005 2006 maybe i was working with a, a a studio who were helping out um, people trying to break in, basically. And their advice was, what well, you really want to start it off with a, a graphic novel, about a 60-page graphic novel. Can you condense it down? And I was like, no. <laughs> no, I can't condense it down. <laughs> Rambling. Um, uh, and so I was like, well, but there is stuff, there's backstory that I've got. I know what happens leading up to this. So I'll write that, and that's basically kind of how the team comes together, which I felt I kind of, having been a big fan of Star Wars and and certainly been interested in how that was written and the principles and ideas behind that, Mm -hmm. I was very much uh, a fan of 
I believe that you should start a story in media res. You know, you should start in the middle of the story, not, you know, do all that waste time with all. You can fill in the backstory as you go, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had the backstory there, so that's why I wrote, and that's what came out first. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, I'm kind of interested because if you look in the, there's an omnibus that you made available to me, which was a really interesting read. Yeah. Uh, it also says in there that you did cover art, early stuff for that. Talk about that. I mean, uh, sometimes artists make good writers because they can think visually and how it's going to be on the page. How, what came first, the art or the story for you, as far as, gen- and as far as like making this cover art and stuff like that, was this oh, computer generated? Well, How'd this happen? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, basically, when I, I, I was starting out, uh, I, I wanted to make a comic and didn't have anyone to draw it and didn't know any artists, hadn't got onto the like, convention circuit or even particularly online to talk to people about it so uh, but I did have a copy of um, a, a computer art program called Poser which is a 3D package and so I started creating it in that um, and did a lot of the character designs using that I mean now looking at it I'm, it's horrible but um, uh, and I, I, I'm not a huge fan of using kind of CG stuff to do comics person i mean i i know several of marcosia's books do people do that and uh, some people really like it and that's fine it's not my taste mm-hmm. but um i think that's that's partly because i've tried to do it myself and uh really know the limitations of it mm-hmm. uh, and i think doing kind of convincing facial expressions um in using that stuff it's really hard and it doesn't yeah. really work because um, I think Pixar for example when they started out that was the thing that I thought was the most lacking were, were facial expressions yeah they, they've gotten better over the years but yeah. I still I still look at it and go I don't know it doesn't <laughs> look like a human being to me still but you know it's better shall yeah. we say but uh, yeah so I, I I started out doing the art myself um, but through like hooking up with studios and, uh, and ultimately publishers um, managed to, to find artists who wanted to draw my stuff, which is, always amazes me that there are artists out there who are like, I really want to draw this. And you're like, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, I've been incredibly, incredibly fortunate um, over the last decade or so to have worked with some amazing artists um, uh, who who have nothing but nice things to say about me, which I think is 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 lovely, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and 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 become just as passionate about the books as I am. And you know, I don't think of them as just being my books. They're mm-hmm. they're, they're our books. They 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 own them as much as I do. They're they're, they're as much their books as they are mine. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, what's the pitch if you if somebody is looking at Alpha Gods that you tell them about the book? Um, I'm, <laughs> I mean, my 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 very honest pitch at times is um, this is uh, it, what if I wrote X Men? <laughs> oh, okay. You know, um, but it's not. I mean, it, it's not that you've you've read it, so you know it's not mm-hmm. that um, because 
it's basically um, set in a world where there are there are mutants, cyborgs, aliens, um, and there is a government agency called the Department of. There are extra humans. The Department of the, of the of the government called the Department for Extra Human Affairs, um, and they have a t- they team called the Alpha Gods who police the extra human community, hmm. basically. Um, but they discover that basically the government is everything's being secretly run by the Nephilim, who are the children of fallen angels and human women. Um, and the Nephilim are working to uh, open a way, a gateway for the fallen angels to come back into the world and take over. Hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. Interesting. It's, it's fun. Yeah, no, it's, no, you, you've got the omnibus, which I guess was printed in 2019. Yeah. Uh, is that the end of the story? Because uh, I, when I read it, I see there could be a lot more that you could do with this. There uh, was, there was a, another book in the works. Oh, um, okay. Good to know. There's always another book in the works. <laughs> um, um, that will be drawn by uh, an amazing artist called Phil Buckingham. Um, I'm just waiting for him to finish what he's doing at the moment and then start drawing the, the next Alpha Gods book, oh, um, which uh, I'm excited about. It's um, There's a bit of a time gap mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of basically a, a mostly new team because um, uh, spoilers, not all of the team are left at the end. Of okay. The- <laughs> they're, not all, they're not all part of the team at that point. Yeah, not everybody is not everybody is left standing, shall we say, at the end. Okay. Uh, but yeah, um, there are some vacancies that need to be filled. Okay. Uh, and the 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 new book uh, basically introduces new villains, a new antagonists, and a lot of vampires. Oh, cool. Should be, should be fun because I, I enjoyed the the first omnibus, which is terrific. I thought that was really really good. Lots of very different storytelling going on there, which I liked. So I'm looking forward to that. See, I got to find a way to keep up with this stuff because <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I try to follow on Facebook, but I do follow a lot of stuff. So I'm going to have to keep a sharper eye on Marcosia <laughs> so I can keep up with these good things as they happen. Now, another thing that you made available to me was a book that I like called Hypergirl. Uh, Talk about Hypergirl. Hypergirl. Well, I mean, one of the th- one of the things that Hero Nine to Five does is it um, satirizes the way women are, are present represented in comics. Present, you know, the 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 hypersexualization of women, the stupid enormous boobs, which is less of a problem these days, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hypergirl was kind of the other way of reacting to that of basically how do you do women in comics and not have them be hypersexualized and not have them be ridiculous um mm-hmm. we also wanted to do a book that um kids could read that mm. and young girls could read because certainly at the time there wasn't a lot of stuff when we did that book there wasn't a lot of stuff for kids really it felt like that kind of all ages book was the thing now it 
All Age is is huge and is selling outselling everything. Um, but I mean, that was one of the things that led to Marcosia splitting with Diamond. Diamond refused to distribute that book. Mm. They said there was no market for it. What? Yeah. That, that's odd because you know, look, you're you're saying today there's a whole bunch of all ages and not and all ages used to mean they were talking down to people. Yeah. That that's not the case anymore. I mean, there are. Gosh, there. As I'm looking, uh, there's a book called Amulet that's an all ages book that is just spectacular, you know. And and things there are so many all ages things that now I love to read, and I've been reading comics for a long time. And you know, if we can get kids reading this stuff, boy, I, I you know, in your book too, I think is, is something that I think a kid would greatly enjoy. Yeah, I mean, one of one of my favorite things at convention is when like a little girl comes up to the table because. Mm-hmm. There are, we get lots of kids at UK conventions. I don't know what's like it in the US conventions. Mm-hmm. But we get a lot of kids. A little girl comes up, she picks up Hypergirl and her face lights up when she sees that it's a girl being a hero, you know, in a suit of armor. And yeah. Because that's cool. one, one of my things is about female lead characters. I, I'm big on that. And anybody who listens to this podcast knows that I go head over heels when I come across a very strong female lead character and I love the girl who's the the head of this book she's great fun she's just a, it, it's fun to read her and see what she does I, I, she I, personally I find I find writing female characters far more interesting than writing male characters hmm. I don't know why but I just they're, yeah they're just a bit more complex I th- yeah, not only that, I think they're unexplored ground. Yeah. We have done male characters from scoundrels to heroes to all kinds of stuff for decades now. I think that female characters are still largely unexplored. Yeah. And so when I see a strong female character, I'm like, oh boy, I haven't seen this before. This is going to be great fun to read. And I think that's Hypergirl does that too. I think it's great fun to see her explore and go places and do things yeah we'd love to do more of it but um it's yeah it's just a time thing for the artists sadly well you know it's hard to do everything yeah especially if you've got guys have 200 books in the out there (laughs) wow that's a lot of stuff to do so and of course not only are you creating these books but you're also with marcos you're creating making things happen for other people too yeah so you're a busy guy yeah, I actually. <laughs> your stuff. Now, well, let me ask you too, because if we haven't, let's say, I, of course we would recommend your stuff. Let's say if, if somebody wanted to try something else after they read your stuff, what from Marcosia would you recommend that's, that a, a new audience explore? Oh, gosh, that you put me on the spot now. <laughs> <laughs> What's good from Marcosia? Um, he says, stalling for time really waits for the w- website to actually load. <laughs> uh, I can't do the stuff off the top of my head. Oh no! So I'll miss something that's good. We've well, got uh, so much going. It's just uh, how you remember it all it would be amazing. I, I don't. <laughs> Geek, Girl. <laughs> Geek Girl is great. If you like Hero Nine to Five, um, and you, you'll probably like Geek Girl. Um, that's by um, Sam Johnson and yeah, Carlos Brand. He was just on here last week. Was he? Well, there you yeah. go. Yeah. yeah, then you know all about Geek Girl. Yeah. Girl's great. Um, Identity stunt is a good one. That's about uh, a stunt man. Uh, 
who kind of yeah does stuff oh god I'm, i feel really bad i'm really bad at knowing what everything is about well, uh, okay. maybe what we should do is go to the website and, and look at the website and kind of look at yeah, through there and figure it out because i mean we literally have something for everyone um we i mean death hawk is that, that's a great one uh mark ellison's death hawk it's a classic comic that, that we brought back um uh, hope all alone is out this week brand new from us um absolutely gorgeous stunning book um we have four jamshid books which is an iranian mythology hmm. um written by written and drawn by iranian writers and artists hmm. amazing stuff absolutely hmm. stunning stuff hmm. um and just the same so i'm just looking at the website and it's I get overwhelmed by just how many books we've got. There's so much stuff. It's like, really? Do we have? That? It's, a, it's just a bounty full of uh, a bounty of wealth. You know, you've got all this amazing stuff out there. It's not. It's not just comics as well. We have some some great prose novels, um, short story collections. Uh, we have the cosplay journal, which is uh, a periodical about cosplay, obviously. Uh, has some stunning photography in it. Um, yeah, um, th- there's just a lot of stuff. Oh, good stuff. Now, as far as what you're doing, uh, you talked about there's Hero to Five in the works, Heroes 9 to 5, and there's Alpha Gods possibly coming. Are there other projects that you can talk about that we should know about? I can, I can certainly, I can talk about them. There are several. Um, I'm currently working on, well, I've, it's, it's all written. The artist is drawing it. Um, I'm about to digitally release the first two issues of a four-part um, adaptation of the story of Noah mm. um, and the flood, uh, basically, um, set in the distant past, obviously, um, but at a time where we're more technologically advanced than you would think, and yeah, it's and what happens is there's a flood and you know uh, Noah saves the animals um, <laughs> hmm. it's like how do you how do you pitch the story of Noah to people when it's the story of Noah um, I mean my my uh, approach to doing that was I wanted to do an adaptation of um, of the Noah story that was done in the way I would I would do an adaptation of any myth or legend um and not do it from the point of view of this is the truth and uh, and using it as a an event a tool for evangelism or, or for proselytizing um, because I, as I mentioned earlier I used to be involved in the church I no longer believe um, but I do find it very interesting and certainly the stories fascinating mm-hmm. uh, and uh, using that to explore the nature of um, belief um, and faith uh, and the relationship between Noah and a god who he is never met and his relationship with his, particularly one of his sons. Um, yeah. Uh, it's so interesting to me that, that several people are exploring biblical things. I mean, there's a there's a uh, Mad Cave has a biblically based book out right now, and there's it just seems so interesting to me. There's a uh, mythology books 
I think Frank Martin writes one, uh, and, and it deals with all these good things. I, I, there's, I, I still think there's wonderful stuff. It, nobody's yet touched my favorite Bible story, and just me being a, a, somebody who enjoys female leads. The Book of Esther. If you ever get a chance to read it, it's a fascinating story. I yeah. It's a, well, really briefly, I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's a, 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 a woman who is Jewish ends up being the queen of a country. And they start to persecute her people. And in order to try to, to stop that, she has to enter into the place where it's a man's world. And if she goes in and she's rejected, she could be killed. So there's great tension going on. She goes into the place where her husband, the king, is, and there's a lot of danger involved, and it ends up really interestingly. It's just a fascinating story. I, I, I love that. If I ever want to just read a story in the Bible, I'll pull that one out, because it's, it's, again, strong female lead. You got me. You know, so I do that one. So someday somebody's going to do that as a comic. I think that would be a wonderful book. Yeah, I'm also working on a book at the moment called um, Shadow of the Dragon Star. Mm. Um, the title for that came about through a, like, yeah, um, one of those kind of memes that was like every fantasy story has to include these. The most popular, no, that was the, like, kind of the most popular words in fantasy book titles were shadow, dragon, and star. Hmm. So I was like, let's, 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 let's do something called shadow of the dragon star. Um, because um, basically, uh, I was talking to the artist. We definitely wanted to work on something. It's um, being drawn by Melissa Hudson, her name is. Um, and we wanted to do something together. And I was just like, what are we going to do? Um, she generally draws, uh, works on fantasy stuff. And I generally work, do kind of more kind of science fiction, modern, but modern day stuff and kind of contemporary stuff. And I was like, well, why don't we do urban fantasy? That kind of hits right in the middle of kind of our both of our interests and so yeah we're doing a, an urban fantasy book um again we're doing that um marvel style so basically mm-hmm. i've read the plot and she is currently drawing it and sending me amazing pages and i'm like how am i ever gonna write <laughs> write a script that 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 kind of lives up to this artwork but um hopefully i will <laughs> good Look yeah. forward to that. See, as an American, I guess comicsology, uh, digital things is probably one of the better ways to keep up with it. Or uh, I know some people sell Marcosia books here in in the U.S., but I don't. You know, that's not quite as easy to access. All of our stuff is on comicsology and drive through. Okay. Uh, in particular, and various other digital platforms, mm-hmm. um, and then. You know, you can get our stuff on Amazon once it's in print, on Amazon, uh, on the Kindle, um, as well, and for the US, Barnes and Noble, Book Depository, Wordery also shipped to the US. I think. Okay. Yeah. So you can always so, go to the local one of those stores and, and request it. Yeah, yeah, you can okay. definitely get pop into your Barnes and local Barnes and Noble and say, please, cool. oh, any actually any bookshop, you should be able to say, you know, it's. This is the book. This is the book title. Yeah, I want Alpha God's Emergence from Marcosia. And I mean, all of the ISBN numbers are on, on the website if, if they the ISBN number. Very cool. 
because it's fun stuff. I mean, I got to read your stuff, which I really enjoyed. And I'm always looking for stuff that, you know, I always like the Star Trek craze where I haven't been before. <laughs> and your books took me places I haven't been before, and I like that. And like I said, Luke's books and other things that I've read in Marcoge always have fascinated me and interested me. So I always encourage people, you know, you might check out, if, if you're looking for something that you haven't seen before, look up Marcosia and have a look at it, because I think you're going to see stuff that'll really grip you and really tell you stories that uh, that, that you want to go to and, and go places you haven't been. So I, I think you guys are doing a wonderful job with that. Thank you. I mean, we're definitely... Yeah, we've got something for everyone. I mean, that's that's a that's so trite a trite phrase, but we really do have. You know, if you like comics, um, certainly you'll find something that that will be your taste. You know, at Marketia. I highly encourage you. Go ahead and check out their website and and check your local stores and see. If, I'm sure they can order it for you, like Barnes and Noble and other good places like that. So, you know, keep it up, uh, Ian. I think you're doing great stuff, and I can't wait to see when these other ones come out. You'll have to let me know, or I'll, I'll do my best to keep track of these things. So I can, maybe we'll talk again, maybe when this yeah. thing comes out, and we can talk about how things are moving that and what kinds of things have changed as, as you've moved forward with these good things. Sure. Definitely. Love to. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man... From flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but it's a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. That's a wrap for this episode. Be back next week when we'll have much more on the comics universes. But until then, keep reading your comics. 